praise God. <clears throat> As we receive our offering this morning, it is true, you know, that we are partnering with what God is doing in the world, uh, not only here, and there's a need here as well. As, um, as you know, Canada is becoming one of the most uh, resistant mission fields in the world. And so whenever we partner in our giving and we give out of the abundance that God has given us and sacrificially as well, that we have the ability, we have the uh, opportunity, the privilege to be able to partner with the Lord in, in reaching the world for him. How many believe that is true, that we need to do that? We need to do that. Well, I'm, I'm thankful this morning. How many is glad this morning that he's not, no longer in the tomb? He's risen. He is risen, and it is a celebration. Now, I wanted to be up here because I'm, I'm shorter than most, and so I get a chance to see you a little better. And uh, I know that there's a bit of a, a, a screen here that's kind of blocking my, so I'm going to turn this a little bit to this side, simply because... Um, uh, you know what, what we said earlier that technology is really good when it works and technology is really good when it works and you know how to use it and uh, I'm no longer 15 and can run the VCR like I did one time I, that's, that was my uh, achievement was running VCRs and DVD players and uh, I thought I was a technical genius when I was a teenager because I could run the VCR and my parents couldn't and so now we are into a whole new era of the digital age, and I'm still uh, trying to catch up. So uh, hence the reason why uh, my, my laptop is here this morning, just because uh, I'm having some technical difficulties with printing and all those sorts of things. But So I trust that that won't be a distraction this morning. But if you have your Bible, would you turn? Um, and I want you to just thumb into John 20. But I want to read a text from the book of Philippians this morning. Uh, it's kind of a springboard. And the title of my message this morning is simply The Power of His Resurrection. The Power of His Resurrection. Because Paul, Paul says, but I, uh, what things were gained to me, he says, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So, Father, we come to you this morning thanking you that no longer are you on the cross. No longer are you in the tomb. But as we have sung this morning, oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. My life will never be the same because you died, you were buried, but you also rose again. Victorious. And because you're victorious, we are victorious. Because, Lord, you overcame, we are overcomers. 
And so, Father, today, if there be someone that, that doesn't know this, doesn't have this reality in their life today, God, I pray this morning that we will know you and the power of your resurrection in a personal and in a corporate way. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for what you've achieved. And we ask your blessing on, 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 this, on this celebratory day. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. amen. I, I just loved how the worship team took us right from Good Friday right into Easter. I thought that was cool. I don't know if you caught that or not, but um, it was, I, I love that. That was great. Thank you so much this morning. I just want to highlight about five things. About five things uh, concerning the resurrection, the power of the resurrection of Jesus. One of the first things I just want to highlight is this. Is that the power, it has the power to convince the skeptic. The power of the resurrection, it has the power to convince the skeptic. Now, if you go to John chapter 20, and you can follow through a little bit of this this morning. But in John 20, we find that we have a skeptic. How many know the world is full of skeptics? The world is full of skeptics. And we know this particular skeptic, because we've given him a bit of a nickname, we, we've noted him as Doting Thomas. And Thomas is a guy I can relate to. Because Thomas is looking at things from a bit of a rational perspective. You see, for him, seeing is believing. Anybody like that this morning, that seeing is believing? You, you tend to have a little bit of a skepticism. And I see some hands going, that's great, thank you. Thank you. See, Thomas needed some evidence. And he thought like this. He, he said, if I can touch it, if I can feel it, if I can see it, then it's real. And that's the way there's a lot of people that think that way today. And the Bible says that before Jesus appeared to Thomas, that Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. She saw the stone had been moved, so she runs to Simon Peter. She tells him all about that, believing that the Romans had probably taken the body. So Peter and the other disciples, they go to the tomb. They discover the evidence that Jesus was indeed gone, and later on they go back to their homes. Now, I want to fast forward just a little bit here. Because later on we discover that the disciples are together, and their doors are locked. And the reason why the doors are locked is they are in fear, fear of the Jews. But then something supernatural happens and that is that Jesus appears to them and all of a sudden now they're overjoyed but then comes Thomas and what does he what does he he do here he simply they simply told him is Thomas we've seen the Lord Thomas we've seen the Lord now can you imagine for a moment their excitement because remember they're they're in the house the doors are locked they are in fear and yet now Jesus appears to them and now they're overjoyed because all the hope that was lost is now renewed. And so now they're telling Thomas that we've seen the Lord. So what does Thomas do? You know what happened? So they're just sitting there. He says to Thomas, we're, we're waiting for the Jews, the Romans, and get us and all of us. And we've got the doors locked. And right out of nowhere, Jesus shows up. And here's what he says to us. He says, peace. He says, peace to us. And he shows us his hands and his side. Thomas, Jesus is a lie, but what does Jesus or what does Thomas say? He says, he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas is a skeptic. He won't, he's, the, he's not the first, he not, won't be the last. It's interesting that there was a 
a professor of law, Dr. Simon Greenleaf. And he, they say he was one of the greatest minds, or legal minds that ever lived. And he wrote a, a legal volume, and it was entitled A Treatise on the Law of Evidence. And it was considered to be the greatest, the greatest legal volume ever written. And he believed the resurrection of Jesus Christ was actually a hoax. And he determined once and for all to take his legal expertise and to expose that the resurrection was actually a myth. But here's what happened. He thoroughly examined the evidence, and he came to the exact opposite conclusion, and he wrote a book, another book, titled An Examination of the Testimony of the Four Evangelists by the Rules of Evidence Administered in the Courts of Justice, in which he emphatically said this. He said, it was impossible that the apostles could have persisted in affirming the truths they had narrated had not Jesus Christ actually been risen from the dead. Why is that important? I'll tell you why it's important today for young people. Because we have young people today that are going to university. They're going into high school. And guess what's happening? They're being taught that Christianity, that Jesus is a mythological character. They're saying that his death was all nothing more than political. Some of them are even questioning whether he actually existed or not. Let alone whether the resurrection is true. And yet we find that there are those who have taken the rational route. They've taken the evidence and they followed the evidence and the evidence demanded a verdict. And here was Dr. Simon Greenleaf coming to the conclusion that Jesus had to have risen from the dead. Some people have theories and they say, oh, we don't even believe that Jesus died. Well, one lady wrote... And asked the same question in a letter. She said this. She said, Dear sirs, our preacher on Easter said on Easter that Jesus was just swooned on the cross. And that the disciples had nursed him back to health. What do you think? Sincerely bewildered. That's how she signed it. And so Charles writes back. Here's what he says. Dear bewildered, beat your preacher with a cat of nine tails with 39 heavy strokes. Nail him to a cross. Hang him in the sun for six hours. Run a spear through his side. Put him in an airless tomb for for 36 hours and see what happens. How many are glad that Jesus did rise from the dead? For Jesus Jesus died and, and if he never rose from ever happened there would not be a Christian on the planet not on the planet today if he didn't rise from the dead if his body had been taken by the Romans or the Pharisees or the Sadducees we would we would have a they would have had a field day exposing the false claims but it never happened did you know that they never found the body because if Jesus had not have risen, they would have taken the body, they would have prayed it in the public, and they would have squashed the entire gospel message once and for all. But folks, it never, ever happened. It never happened. But if it didn't happen, because everything hinges on the resurrection, folks. Everything hinges on the resurrection. And if he had not been risen from the dead, there would not be an upper room today. If he hadn't been risen from the dead, there would have not been a prayer 
prayed, there would have been no Pentecost, there would have been no outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there would have been no sermon by Peter, there would have been no 3,000 that would have gotten saved on that day had not Jesus been raised from the dead. But my Bible says the truth that there was an upper room, that there was a Pentecost, that Jesus, or excuse me, that Peter actually did preach a sermon on that Sunday talking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus and there were 3,000 people that were added to the church and the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church and it was all because there's power in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. Has the power to convince the skeptic. The second thing this morning, he's got the power to comfort the soul. Or the sorrowful. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, but in 2007 there was a film called The Bucket List. And it was about two uh, terminally ill men. There was one was played by Jack Nicholson, the other Morgan Freeman. And they took a road trip. Because they wanted to do things that uh, they always wanted to do. Or always dreamed about doing before they would end up kicking the bucket. And so... Before the film was released, it was released, Nicholson was interviewed by Parade Magazine, and he was reflecting on his personal life. And Nicholson said this. He said, I used to live so freely. And the mantra of my generation was just to be your own man. Be your own man. Do whatever you want. Doesn't really matter. He says, I'm going to have mine, I'll accept the guilt, I'll pay the check, I'll do the time. I'll choose my own way. That was his philosophical way of, of looking at life. Well into his 50s, as I've gotten older and I've had to adjust. But the reality was, when it came to Nichols, he said, later in the interview, he adds, he says this. He says, we all want to go on forever, don't we? We fear the unknown. Everybody goes to that wall, yet no one knows what's on the other side. That's why we fear death. That's why we fear death. How many know that right now there are people who are living life and they fear death? They don't know what's coming next. They're getting older. And I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I look back on my life. But the more I realize that time is going on and time is going on and on and on. Now that sounds morbid a little bit. But this morning we have hope, amen? We who, we who know Jesus have a hope. And in contrast to Nicholson, there was a lady, and she was diagnosed with a terminal illness, and she was getting her things all in order, and she contacted her pastor to come to the house because she wanted to discuss her final wishes with her pastor. And so she told him all the songs that she was going to want to have sung at the, at the funeral service, the scriptures that she wanted to have read, and the outfit she wanted to be buried in. And she also asked that she would be buried with her favorite, uh, her favorite Bible. And so the woman said, could I just request one more thing? One more thing. The pastor said, what's that? She said, I want to be buried with my fork in my right hand. My fork. A fork in her right hand. So the pastor was kind of puzzled about this. And she said, in all my years of attending church socials and potluck dinners, when the dishes of the main course were being cleared, someone would say, keep your fork. Keep your fork. She said, it was my favorite part of the meal. Because I knew that something better was coming. Like velvety, you know, like the chocolate cake. What is it that you like, Christiane? What, what, what is it, the cake? It's that red velvet cake you love so much. Or, or um, blueberry cheesecake. 
Yeah. Sweet potato pie. First time I had sweet potato pie was here. It's worth keeping your fork for. Just want to let you know. And, and of course, we, we can't discount grandma's apple pie. Amen. Keep your fork. So, she said, so that when people see me in the casket with the fork in my hand, they will ask, what's with the fork? And I want you to tell them to keep your fork because the best is yet to come. Hallelujah. The best is yet to come. What did Jesus say? He said in John 6, 40, he said, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up the last day. The best is yet to come. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 14, Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, the body that is sown, that's talking about the body of the believer, is, is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, sown in weakness, it is raised in power. Then he goes on and he says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying will, that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory, oh death. Where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory to our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that good news to you this morning? That should excite you. That should pump you up. Hallelujah. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Fourth, or excuse me, third, third, third point. It has the power to to convert the soul. The resurrection of Jesus has the power to convert the soul. Lee Strobel wrote a book called The Case for Christ. And in that book, he informed the readers of how he was a skeptic. He was an atheist. And I read other books by Strobel, and he was, he was definitely a, a skeptic like Thomas. And he wrote this. He said, unlike many of you, I'm not predisposed to believing. He didn't believe. He was an unbeliever. And so really the question is, is what was it that changed his mind? What was it that changed Strobel's mind about Christianity? What was it that led him to be converted, to receive Jesus as his his Lord and Savior? And here's what he said in his book. He said it was the sudden conversion of his wife that did it for him. He He said, Mrs. Strobel miraculously developed integrity of character. Kind of... Reminds me of the fruit of the Spirit, amen? An integrity of character. And he said she also would exude a personal confidence that she didn't have before. And because of her encounter with Jesus, that there was these fundamental character changes in her life. And he came to the realization, he came to the point where he believed that not only was Jesus real, but the resurrection power of Christ was evident in his wife, who was once dead. And how many know we were the same way? If we're believers here today, there was a time when we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. We were alienated from God. 
Our character was not about love. We didn't have the kind of joy that Jesus can bring. We didn't have peace in our life. Do you believe that? Is, is that where you were? But instead, when Jesus comes into your life, how many know that no longer are we dead in our trespasses and our sins, but we are alive? We are born again. We're born from above. We are a new creature in Christ Jesus. And the old things are passing away. And behold, everything is becoming new. Everything is becoming new. And even though he was a a graduate from Yale, and even though he investigated historical evidence, the greatest evidence for him was the changes that he witnessed in his wife, all because the power of the Spirit of God within her to raise her from her old self to become a new creation in Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is the power to convert the soul. But here's another thing, final thing, and that is the, the power of the resurrection. It's got the power to give us a living hope. 1 Peter 1 verse 3 says, and we're going to get to John 20 in a minute. Because I know you've got your fingers in there. 1 Peter 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think we've done that this morning, haven't we not? We praised him this morning. And so Peter says, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his mercy. And we've sang about his mercy today. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. He has given us a living hope. How many would agree this morning that the world needs hope? We're living in a time right now, and and, and people say that we are living in a postmodern world. The West has come to this place where no longer do we place our hope and our confidence in science anymore. Because it's failed us. And people thought, you know, if, if, we just, if we just are able to get enough advancement, if we just have the right technology, we can build a better world. But how many understand this morning that we have taken our technology and we've been trying to blow each other up? Just when, just when industrial revolution comes along and says, well, you know something? Uh, even God can't sink the ship. It's a bad theology. Bad theology on April. I believe it was, four, was it April 14th, 1912? Am I getting this right? The Titanic on its maiden voyage. What a mockery. God, even God. We built this thing so good, even God can't sink the ship. And then you got the horrors of World War I and World War II, and there's been wars and rumors of wars ever since, and yet we think somehow we were able to build a better world. But I want you to understand that modernity has failed. And we have a generation that's coming up now that are skeptical over the claims of science and the hope that sci- the scientists can bring. And so right now there's a world that's living in hopelessness and despair, and they're looking for truth. They're looking for something, and they're turning, folks. To every sort of ism you can find. Every sort of 
alternative way of life or philosophy or religion or whatever you want to label it. They're looking for something. But if you're a young person here today, if you're, any, if you're a person here today, you don't know Jesus, I want you to know that there's only one way to have a living hope, and that is through Jesus. And that's what the world needs to know. Peter said it. He said, into a living hope through the resurrection. And he goes on. I like this part here. This is my favorite part. He said, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade away. I want you to think about this. If you, if you, step your, if you put your feet into the sandals of the, of the folks back in John 20, and we're going to go there right now. And we're going to see this a little bit. It's interesting that Jesus' circle, his disciples, they were quite a ragtag bunch, you know. And they had no political power, no political cloak. They didn't have a whole lot of education. They never had much of a reputation. In fact, they were pretty weak in the minds of the people, minds of, of those who had seemed to have power. They would have been considered to be a pretty weak group of people. Pretty weak. And yet... They wanted to get rid of Jesus because he was a threat to the status quo. And a theologian by the name of Jurgen Moltmann, he said this. He said that Jesus' crucifixion to his disciples, here's what he says, was not the consummation of his obedience to God nor a demonstration of the martyrdom of his, of his truth, but the rejection of his claim. It did not confirm their hopes in him, but permanently destroyed them. Talking about the crucifixion. So here they were, we'll go back a little bit again, when they were in that house, and they were in fear. And so we find in John 20, around verse 19, that the disciples are mourning. They're mourning. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was still going on, no, so nobody would have left Jerusalem around that time. The doors were shut, the Bible tells us, John tells us, the doors were shut up. Likely they were bolted shut. Because they were in fear. So here they were. They were assembled for the fear of the Jews. Probably because they were afraid that if this is what happened to Jesus, then perhaps the same thing will happen to us because we were his followers. And in verse 20, just like when the wounds were, sh were shown, Jesus shows the evidence that it's him. And they recognize him. Because what you have to understand is before he shows up, all of their hope is gone. Okay? We need, to, we need to get this, the gravity of the situation here. All the hope is gone. In their minds, the crucifixion destroyed everything. All of their hope. And, and now, instead, we find that because Jesus shows up, it's a ratification of everything he did and everything he said. Now it's totally changed. From something that is dreary and without hope now to a renewed sense of hope. In fact, we discover, yes, he truly was God's Messiah. Yes, the Messianic kingdom is here. It has truly begun. We discover that he commissions his disciples. In verses 21 to 22. Because this is where it's coming now. He says, I'm going to commission you as the Father sent me. So I'm going to send you. He breathes on them and receives the Holy Spirit. And we know that in Acts 2, and I'm kind of skipping around here just a little bit, but in Acts 2, we discover that Jesus pours out the spirit of prophecy on all who were there. Now, why is that important? 
Well, it's important because when Peter got up on Acts, in, in Acts 2 and he preached that sermon that day, what the early church, what the early believers began to realize was this, is that in the raising of Jesus and in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it convinced them that God's promise of the Messiah and his kingdom, the kingdom age, everything that the prophets had predicted, all of their hope was now coming into fruition. Because Joel chapter 2 came to pass on the day of Pentecost. It confirmed Jesus' claim as Messiah, and it was it showed them the very fact that the kingdom of God is now present. The kingdom of God was present. Do you remember what the Pharisees, when they were accusing Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub? What did he say? He said, if I cast out demons by the power or by the finger, according to which gospel you read, he said, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So you've got the Messiah, but you've got the kingdom. And it's interesting because the New Testament talks about words to express belief that the messianic kingdom has actually arrived. One of the things we discover in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 and 23, it talks about the resurrection of Jesus is referred to as the first fruits of the general resurrection. And in, verse, in, in 2 Corinthians 1, 22 and, and, and 5, verse 5, Paul describes the Holy Spirit connecting, remember, to the day of Pentecost as the down payment or the guarantee. You know what I'm talking about by a down payment, right? Anybody know what a down payment is? You know, you, you go to the bank and the, and the bank looks over your finances and their, your portfolio and they say, well, you know, this is the value of the, of the uh, item that you want to purchase. And, and so... We want you to give us a down payment. And what does that down payment do for the bank? It gives them a what? A guarantee. Thank you. That's, that's the word I was looking for. Brother, you, I'll give you a brilliancy point this morning. Hallelujah. It's a guarantee. So keep that in mind here. So the first fruits, what's that refer to? It refers to... The early harvest festival that celebrated the arrival of the new crop. We can find that in Exodus 23 and in Deuteronomy 26. And what the first fruits had to do, it was, it was a, a sign but it was all, that more was coming, but an indication that the full harvest hadn't arrived yet. More was to come. It was the beginnings of it. The presence of the first fruits caused rejoicing because they were visible, tangible evidence that what? More was on the way. More was on the way. What's interesting is this, and I think this is so cool. This gets me excited. Jesus rose from the dead on precisely the day when in Jewish worship, the first ripe sheet of the harvest would be presented to the Lord. And according to the theological dictionary of the New Testament, the down payment or guarantee means that this is a deposit and it pays part of the debt 
giving legal claim for the full repayment. It's a tangible pledge that ratifies a contract. So in other words, you might say, well, Pastor Steve, can you get to the point? Well, here's the point. The resurrection of Jesus was the first fruit. Pentecost, when the Spirit came, was the down payment. It was the visible, tangible evidence that the Messianic kingdom had arrived and had dawned, but also that the fullness of the kingdom was guaranteed. Are you getting that this morning? In other words, hang on to your fork. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. That is our hope today. That is our hope today. Did you know that that's your hope? That is your inheritance. Your inheritance isn't some fancy host somewhere. It's not some island in the Caribbean. Your hope this morning, your inheritance is the kingdom. And that God has created, he has saved us. To be into his family, and how many understand that we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ? Everything that has been promised to him is ours, all because Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. Because of the Spirit being poured out, we know the kingdom of God is here. It's here in signs and wonders. It's here, here in miracles. But folks, the best is on its way, and it's a living hope. And we folks, that is a, that is a deposit that you can take to the bank. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord this morning. Could you stand? Could we stand this morning? A living hope. A living hope. I'm going to call the worship team back. A living hope. Hallelujah. No wonder Paul said, I count everything as rubbish in this life. No wonder he said, I count all as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That I may gain Christ. Everything in this life isn't worth much in comparison to knowing him and the power of his resurrection and what it means. Maybe you're here today and you don't know the power of his resurrection in your life. Maybe you're here and you haven't submitted your life to Jesus. I want you to know Revelation. I love this. This is really great. I just got to get my Bible. I want to pull it out here. John gives us a glimpse. He gives us a glimpse. If I can get this. And I know I, I gave the worship team permission. You guys just lead. However the Spirit leads you this morning. Praise God. But this excites me. This excites me. How many know we, we know the end of the story? We know, we know the end of the story. I love it. If I can get out of the concordance here in the back of my Bible, I'll be all set. I love this part. What does John say in, in, in chapter 21 of Revelation? He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for husband. And, and down in, in verse 4, Excuse me, well, actually verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Look, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. You can start the music anytime you guys want. And in verse 4, he says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death. Neither shall be any more sorrow, nor crying, nor pain. No more crutches. No more wheelchairs. No more medical plans, because you won't need to go to the drugstore to get your drugs. 
Hallelujah. For the former things have passed away. And he was seated on the throne and said, Look, I am making all things new. Is that the hope that you have this morning? If, that, if that's the hope that you have this morning, would you just shout a little amen this morning? Amen. Just shout a little amen. It's okay. You can do that. A little bit of you know, glory. Glory to God. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know him. And my, my encouragement to you is before you leave, before you leave, Jesus loves us so much that on 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 before the resurrection he went to the cross for us and he took he took our guilt and our shame upon himself to give us new life and if we turn away from our sin and we receive Jesus as our lord and savior he, the bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness that's how much he loves us he wants to make us new and if you're here today and you don't know Jesus in that way i trust that you will before you leave this place but folks, I want to also issue a challenge to those who, of us who are believers. This living hope is too good to hold on to. This hope is too good to hold on to. I thought I got a good deal when I got a refrigerator for $27.50 at Sears. That lasted me a year and a half. I thought I had a good deal when I got a car, a Dodge Aries, for a thousand bucks, which led me, or, uh, which I was able to get a year and a half out of. But I want you to know there's a better deal than that. It's when, you, it's when you give your hopelessness over to Jesus and he fills your life with hope. When he takes all your guilt and he puts in his righteousness. And he gives you a peace instead of despair. But guess what? It's too good to hold on to. See, I thought that deal with that refrigerator was so good. I told everybody that I saw, you wouldn't believe the deal I got on that refrigerator. But how many know we got a better deal than that? It's the deal that Jesus gave us. And so I want to encourage you. Take the living hope. Take the power of the resurrection. And get out there as Jesus told us. And as you go, tell others. That's our mission. That's why we give to the mission in Ukraine. That's why we give into this church. It's not so that we get fat. But it's that we can carry on the mission that Jesus called us to. Can we continue to celebrate that this morning? Hallelujah. Praise his name. Yes, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I know he rescued my soul. His blood is covered.
blood has covered my sin. I believe. I believe. My shame is taken away. My shame is taken away. My pain. My pain is healed in His name. I believe. I believe. I'll raise. I'll raise the banner. My Lord's conquered. My Lord has conquered the grave. My Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lift my burden. You lift my burden. I'll rise with you. I'll rise with you. I'm dancing on this mountaintop. I'm dancing on this mountain to see your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. My Redeemer lives. 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 Brian, would you, would you ask? Sure. Well, Father, we thank you so much. This is, the, uh, this is this weekend what we celebrate here. This is our whole reason for living. And uh, Jesus, we thank you so much for it. So I pray, Lord, that you would just give us a new revelation of you, of, of everything that's in that promise, that's in that guarantee, and that you would send us forth with your spirit, just as they did in Scripture like that, that you'd send us forth this week that we would walk in power and in your love and that we would go, that we would be, we know we're sent, so pray that you would strengthen us to walk that out in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. In peace.